0: leadership, resiliency, optimism. What are they, how can we find them, and how can we develop them? Today's guest is Dr. Mike Finnegan, an assistant professor in the Staley School of Leadership Studies at Kansas State University. He helps us answer these questions, plus many others. We also discuss strengths and authenticity, and how we can find them, and how we can develop them so that they work for us. I'm Chris Bowman, health educator at Lafine Health Center, and thanks for tuning in to this episode on Thrive at Kansas State University.
1: makes sense right you've got the strength of communication so i wouldn't uh, expect anything less than a uh, <laughs> uh, a communicator finding a podcast so you can uh, amplify your voice out to uh, uh, to people around the world well
0: i that's one thing like when i when we first talked i, I was trying to remember my strengths and i think i gave you a couple that weren't on there but i think maybe that was me wishing they were on there you know <laughs> you you meet people um, that you're just drawn to, mm-hmm. you know, and like for me, the people like, put the maximizer, I think that's one of yours. Um, I'm drawn to those people. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I don't know what it is, but those are the people that I'm drawn to, and I want to get to know, and I want to connect
1: with, you know.
0: Um, but yeah, it, yeah, nope,
1: it was great. That you know, Chris, funny that you bring up a uh, maximizer. When I first ta- uh, took the assessment myself, mm-hmm. I wanted developer, yeah, because gosh. Uh, graduate degree in college student development. Uh, <laughs> yep. I teach leadership development. Our mission statement at the Staley School: developing knowledgeable, ethical, caring, inclusive leaders for a diverse and changing world. And I got my uh, top five back, and and I thought, what's this maximizer yeah. all about? Right, I want developer. And then when I read the definitions, you know, developer. Gosh, those people are especially talented in this uh, wonderful space where they can see and celebrate small wins and victories. Yeah. And I thought that's cool, mm-hmm. and that's also not me, <laughs> but. Then when I thought Maximizer, uh, I started to think back, you know, years ago, uh, I kind of saw myself as a high school educator, maybe mm-hmm. a, uh, maybe a coach, but I never saw myself as like the freshman coach. Yeah. I always saw myself as the varsity coach. Mm-hmm. Give, me, give me people with talent and skill, Yeah, and then I can maybe shape them a little bit. Well, that's that maximizer, uh, moving from individual and or group excellence to something um, uh, superb. Uh, and, and, and I think that's why I ended up here in higher ed, yeah. teaching college students, because I'm already working with high-ability, high-achieving students.
0: You know, and that w- something you took out of there, what you said, was you um, were hoping for certain strengths, yeah. And then you get them, um, you know, you get your your top five or what your, you know, your top five strengths. And if something's not in there, I don't know if there was disappointment, but, you know, I'm kind of thinking the pro. I went in with that when I took many strengths, uh, my strengths assessment, I didn't go into any ideas of what I wanted. But I wonder, is that, do, does that happen to people? They go in and they have one they want and when they get it, they're, I don't want to say they're disappointed a
1: little bit. Um, but does that happen very often? Yeah. You know, when I talk to students, I think some students who are uh, 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 around the strengths assessment and yeah. kind of hear their friends talk about it, yep. then they kind of get these ideas of what they then hope to maybe see in their own results. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's I think, the beauty of giving strengths to students here at K-State when they're first semester freshmen. So we get to hit them early, yeah. and they haven't really had a lot of strengths-based conversations, uh, so they take the assessment really uh, relatively unaware of what the entire uh, 34 themes mean. So then they can honestly take the assessment through a clear lens. Uh, And of course, Gallup does a wonderful job of giving you 20 seconds to uh, uh, answer every question. So you're not thinking, what does this look like when I'm at school? What does this look like when I'm uh, in my hobbies? What does this look like when I'm at home? Just relaxing. Uh, And so it's really this first gut level reaction to the questions that then uh, give us our, uh, our, our talents. Man, it's, it is a
0: powerful, I mean, it's a powerful tool, just like I said, and, and it's one thing we talked about when we were on the phone uh, or doing a Zoom call about this. You know, I feel like my career, I'll say my career, I don't, it, it, don't want to say took off, but it took on a whole new meaning once I had my strengths, looked at it, and it's like, how can, I figure, how can I fit these into what I'm doing? Because then it creates passion mm-hmm. um, in your career, what you're doing. And that makes, takes, takes your career to another level. You know, when you can incorporate those into your profession, because you already have a little bit of a passion for what you're doing, it is fantastic. And so that's one thing that I'm so thankful for that people at, or students at K-State will get them as a freshman because they can start that path. They can start figuring, like, I have a passion here. How do I get my strengths incorporated in? And it's going to take them to the next level, which is really cool. So... All right, so I'm going to try this uh, these, this intro, um, kind of giving everybody an idea who we have here with us today. So we have Dr. Mike Finnegan. He is here with us today. Uh, Dr. Finnegan is an assistant professor in the Staley School of Leadership Studies. He's a recipient of the Kansas State University Presidential Award for Excellence in Undergraduate Training. Currently, Dr. Finnegan teaches Introduction to Leadership uh, Concepts, uh, Senior Seminar, and a Strengths Cat Community. Dr. Finnegan has co-authored the book, Developing Knowledge, Ethical, Caring, and Inclusive Leaders, and he currently serves as K-State's campus lead to integrate Gallup's CliftonStrengths for students across K-State's campus to increase student well-being. That's a heck of an intro right there, (laughs) Uh, uh, Mike. uh, We're excited to have you on. Thanks, So, Like I said, we just... Thank you so much for coming on. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: You bet. Well, I was uh, I was fired up uh, and uh, really excited that, gosh, we could even probably uh, bring this podcast right into the uh, into the classroom because I know many of my students are looking for creative ways mm-hmm. to uh, uh, basically absorb knowledge. So hopefully uh, I can send this out uh, to uh, to my students while they're working out at the rec and, and, and getting getting that physical well-being you, in.
0: Exactly. Well, you know what was really cool was, and it was uh, a couple of uh, – uh, Uh, professors at the College of Engineering I was talking to them and we were kind of brainstorming how do we how can we help get well-being into your court their coursework and one thing we talked about was taking a podcast and taking our episodes and assigning them to students to listen to and writing a reflection paper you know once twice I don't know how many times in a semester they would do that but that's a creative way to introduce well-being into their course curriculum and it Feels a little bit different than just a regular assignment because you got to listen to a podcast and things of that nature. And so that had some attention. So what you're saying is absolutely correct. Like this is another way just to get out to students, get out to the K-State community and the community in general. Um, What we have going on K-State, what's going on, what's going good here, how we're taking care of our students and how we are enhancing their well-being. So this is fantastic.
1: Yeah, Chris, I love that because the research on Gallup shows that you really need about five to seven touch points just for strengths to yep. be sticky, let alone the engagement and the well-being that then comes when you uh, uh, productively leverage your strengths yeah. uh, in what it is that you care about. So the more touch points we can give students to talk about well-being, hey, that's, uh, that's success. Well, and well-being
0: is, I don't know if it, I would say it's the way, it's the future. I mean, we got to think about taking care of people's, people holistically, you know, and I love this idea of well-being, how we're now looking at every every part of well-being and how we can incorporate it, how we can make them work together and how we can take care of them. And what I think that does too, in my mind, is it drives collaboration. Um, you got to collaborate with other people. You know, I don't know everything there is to know about emotional well-being. I'm a social worker. I know a little bit, but you know what? Um, I need to connect them with for financial, for physical, um, for that uh, community and that career and things of that nature. It just drives Collaboration and connection, I think.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. 100%.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll start out, um, uh, Mike, with I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, where you went to school, how you landed here at K State.
1: You betcha. Uh, well, hey, born and raised Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, when uh, when I think of home, I consider Riley County home. Okay. Uh, largely because born and raised in Manhattan, graduated from Manhattan High School. But now my partner and I, we live north of town uh, in uh, in Randolph. Okay. And we've been up there for uh, for for eight years. Right. So uh, Riley County is definitely home. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you ask, Mike. How did you land here at K State? Because I'm actually second generation faculty. My father okay. uh, was a forensic anthropologist here at K-State, so I knew a lot of uh, the K-State community growing up. Uh, but mom and dad always wanted me to have that go-away college experience, which yep. I think is so critical for uh, students age 18 to, to, to 22 years old to uh, get out on their own, uh, really understand what it means to be independent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of growth that happens. Well, back in the day, Chris, of course, it was the Big Eight. Yep. And so mom and dad kind of put me in the little uh, Subaru, and we uh, uh, tracked all throughout the, uh, the Big Eight uh, colleges at the time. Uh, and, 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 and I'll be honest, I kind of fell in love with, uh, with Oklahoma. Mom and dad both uh, graduated from CU, so okay. I kind of saw myself going, uh, uh, going out of state. But then I took my K-State visit. And my, my admissions representative was Heather Riley. Uh, she, too, was a Manhattanite, uh, and uh, uh, I had a chance to uh, to get connected here to campus, and K-State asked me, they said, uh, tell me about you, what are you interested in, as opposed to just selling all their academic programs. And so, when it came down to uh, decision time, and mom and dad said, Mike, where are you going? I said, you know, out of all the places I went, I felt the most at home right here at K-State, even mm-hmm. though it is home. And then my dad, my dad, I think he was a little upset, and he goes, Mike, well, we can send you to K-State, but under one condition. We're going to drop you off in August, and you're not going to come home until uh, Thanksgiving because we want you to have that go-away yep. college experience. And so, Chris, gosh, I got involved in a, uh, in a fraternity here on campus, and really the rest was history, and it really felt like a, uh, like a go-away college experience for me.
0: Wow. that's that is, What I picked up with that is you still remember your advisor that you came and saw when you came for your official visit. And what that shows to me is, and I don't know how many years ago that was, uh, Mike, but what that shows is, is that you never know when you're going to have a lasting impact on somebody. You know, you never know when, what, what, how you're going to act, what you're going to say is going to have a lasting impact on somebody. And it sounds like that lasting impact for you was, what do you want to do? They kind of put you um, on the spot a little bit to say, hey, as an 18, 19 year old, uh, uh, young adult, what do you want to do? And that seems like that really rang home true for you.
1: Yeah, gosh, and, and I've got goosebumps right now. The uh, Chris, uh, a good friend of mine, Frank Hernandez, says you can't fake the goosebumps. And yep. I've got goosebumps on my arm right now just thinking about that connection mm-hmm. and, and how you highlighted the importance of relationships yep. because here's how that story comes full circle. Just this last spring, Max Lansdowne Heather Riley's son was in my Lead 212 Introduction to Leadership Concepts class, and so I got an opportunity to uh, uh, work with Max uh, one-on-one to really kind of say, hey, how can you grow in your leadership development? And so it's fascinating how uh, if you make the connection to meet with people and care about people, uh, it's amazing how the world finds a way back around.
0: You're exactly right. And so I came, I've been here at K-State maybe about a year and a half and I came from working on Fort Riley Military Base. And when I got here, um, I'd only been working here maybe three, four months. And I was trying to put some some presentations together, get some guest speakers. And the one thing that stuck out to me as soon as I got here was when I would, uh, you know, email, call, talk to them say, hey, can you help me out? Can you guest present on growth mindset? And I, you were part of that. Do a resiliency workshop. The staff here, they looked for a way to say yes. If they saw, okay, you know what, this is going to benefit our students and our community, how can we get to yes? And it doesn't sound like, like I said, you experienced that when you came for your freshman visit. I experienced something like that when I came, started working here at uh, K-State. So it is, it's about people and it's about those relationships, and that's what drives connection, which is huge. It's absolutely huge.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And I'm excited about uh, being here today. And hopefully you and I collectively can drop some knowledge for our listeners out there uh, because gang, I don't know if you know this about Chris, but Chris is an expert in motivational interviewing. And so uh, <laughs> when I saw that on your, uh, on your bio, I was like, watch out. This is, and, and Chris, we're both woos,
0: Yep, right? exactly.
1: And so when we think about woos winning others over uh, the, uh, the strengths language and kind of the strengths joke around that is that uh, when two woos get together, it's a Wooklier Explosion. And so, gang, watch out today.
0: That may be the title of our podcast, A Wooklier Explosion. <laughs> we'll just see where it goes from here. but uh, uh, Or that should be the name of this episode. Um, but, yeah, no, the motivational interviewing, you know, again, it's I, I trace it all back to my experience here at K-State mm-hmm. going through the social work program here. You know, we had such great faculty and staff when I, when I was here. Some have moved on, some are still here. And, again, that motivational interviewing for me is... It, it was instilled here at K-State, but what it is is it's listening, it's active listening, it's connecting, it's all that kind of stuff, and that's carried me further in my career, or that's come up and been helpful in my career more than anything, and so I re- thank you know, I don't know if I'd say expert, can still keep uh, keep working on it, um, but uh, it is definitely something that I'm thankful that I've really kind of worked on and and. and you know, can consider a strength. A yeah,
1: and Chris, gosh, I love your definition of motivational interviewing and all the skills associated with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in our world, right uh, in in the leadership realm, we kind of call that coaching. Yep. Uh, what does it look like to take a coach like stance to really be present and and uh, uh, fully engaged with the people that you're communicating with?
0: Yep. Nope. I think fully engaged. That's 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 a kid ticket right there. Mm-hmm. Making people feel like they matter. Um, taking an interest
1: in them. Trying to find that
0: connection. That's what it's about. So, all right. So, your undergrad work was here at K State. What was your? What you? What you get your degree in here at K State?
1: Yeah, gosh, uh, criminology and geography. All so, right. uh, when I was here at K State, of course, my dad did a lot of work with forensic anthropology, and mm-hmm. so uh, I was connected a lot with law enforcement as a uh, as a youth. And so, my idea was uh, I'd like to uh, just basically buy my time out until I'm of age, so I could go to the police academy. Yep. And I kind of saw myself uh, uh, working within community uh, to uh, uh, to. Make Make a difference, and and I thought you know being in law enforcement was kind of the, the the place to to do that. Yeah, and then you know funny story, and we'll talk a little bit about authenticity uh, a little bit later. And and I tell this story to my seniors, uh, uh, spring semester, right before they're ready to graduate and transition, and you know. Even this last spring, it's always interesting because about half of your students already have full-time employment, mm-hmm. ready to go, and then there's another half saying, Mike, I'm in the job interview process, but I'm worried. Where am I going to land? I graduate. Uh, I don't want to go back home and live with mom and dad. Uh, what does life have in store for me? And, and I'm reminded that all my students see me right now as a uh, 43-year-old uh, accomplished professional who's taught leadership studies for the last uh, 15 years, mm-hmm. right? But what they don't see is Mike Finnegan, age 22, when I was in their shoes uh, as, a, uh, as a senior. And, and, Chris, it's interesting how uh, my uh, – uh, I kind of call it a crossroads moment. Yep. And these are the moments in life that actually I think back, uh, strengths were at play, even though I didn't know my Clifton strengths at, yep. the, uh, at the time. And here's, here's the story. I was sitting in Throckmorton in a class called Police and Society – Mm-hmm. And I was a senior, spring semester, wasn't really paying attention. I was reading the Collegian in the, uh, in the back of the lecture hall. Yep. And Lieutenant Q from the Riley County Police Department, he was uh, our guest speaker for the day. Well, again, not paying much attention. Yeah. But he asked a question, and the question was simply this. How are you going to respond to this question when you come home from work and you're off shift? Mm-hmm. And then I put the Collegian down, and I thought, what question is he going to ask? And the question he asked was, honey, how was work today? Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that's not a difficult question. That's a simple question. I mean, that's a common question that partners ask partners uh, uh, each and every day when they come home from work. And then he put this into context for me. And he said, Mike, the challenge here is that the f- this was your first day on shift when you worked a fatality. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, whoa. That's a difficult conversation, and then he went through his process as to how he worked through that uh, during his time in law enforcement. Uh, and 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 do you do you not share about your day to kind of protect your family from the things that you see yep. as a first responder, and or do you share? Uh, and then all of a sudden that makes your partner and or a spouse more worried about you know the next time that you're on shift because you're putting yourself in harm's way. Yep. Well. Lieutenant Q then went through the whole socialization of how law enforcement and police officers deal with the things that they cope with uh, day in and day out as a, uh, as a professional. And so I remember just really saying thank you for uh, sharing your authentic story with us to prepare us for what it is we're going to find later out on this field. And Chris... Uh, I'll never forget that walk home to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was living off campus, Houston Street, so from Throckmorton across City Park uh, to, uh, to Houston Street, and it was the most sobering walk I've ever had because uh, at the time I thought, gosh, I pride myself on my positivity, mm-hmm. and I'm about to potentially enter a career field uh, that could strip me of that positivity yep. based on uh, what it is I'm going to see day in and day out. And at that moment, I made a life decision not to go uh, to the police academy and not to go into, into law enforcement. So here I am, uh, 22 years old, spring semester, thinking, "What am I going to do?" Yep. And uh, at the time, I was on the K State cheer squad. Uh, gosh, during my time cheering at K State, the football team only lost uh, three games. Yeah. So you know it was it was Michael Bishop yep. and uh, Jonathan Beasley. Oh yeah. So it was uh, it was it was good times, but. I remember uh, thinking, what am I going to do next? And thankfully, uh, Dr. Pat Bosco got a hold of me. Okay. And then that, that then uh, said, hey, Mike, check out this uh, K-State admissions representative position, Helps students transition from high school to college. Uh, and and I interviewed. I got the job. Dr. Bosco gave me my first professional experience in higher ed. And then really the rest is history because yeah. I loved it. And so then I started to ask Pat. I said, Pat, how could I kind of make a career out of this Uh Uh, AR position in in higher ed, and he says, Mike, you got to go get a master's. Mm -hmm. So I started to get a master's in college student development, had no idea that there was a master's focused on how college students navigate the uh, the college experience, Uh, and then I ended up at Central Missouri State University working with uh, Dr. Matt Melvin, uh, and he was phenomenal. At the time, I was uh, new student services, director of orientation and campus visits, Uh, but I got my master's and then started putting some feelers out, uh, and And I'll never forget, I was in the uh, application pool for both uh, UNLV, imagine me down in Vegas, right? Exactly.
0: Be, there would be some long nights, I think, of just, uh, yeah, because it's it, that's not the city never sleeps. That's New York. But anyway, that's got to be a close second.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, UNLV is an assistant director of admissions and also a uh, flag staff. Uh, and then I get a call from K-State, and I get a call from uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Mary Kay Seifers, mm-hmm. and she says, hey, Mike, we've got a job uh, opening here as an instructor position with the Staley School of Leadership Studies. Why don't you apply? And uh, it was awesome because I think uh, I had some feelers back out with Dr. Bosco, and he knew that I was thinking about coming back. Uh, And so sure enough, interviewed, got the job. Uh, Susan Scott, Dr. Bob Shoup, the co-founders of the Staley School of Leadership Studies, uh, they gave me my first uh, uh, opportunity as an instructor. And at the time, I'd never formally taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as uh, Susan said, she's like, Mike, you've been teaching and coaching your entire life. Yeah. Uh, now we can teach you the formal uh, elements of uh, of classroom instruction, but we can teach you the content, but we can't teach the uh, the relationship and, and connections.
0: Exactly, that's what I was just gonna pick up on. It was when, you know, again, playing to your strengths, but again, they saw what maybe is a little bit more difficult to teach or maybe can't even be taught. And that's building those relationships, connecting with people. And I love what I love about that 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 story is is they didn't get really tied up in the fact that maybe they gave you an opportunity. They didn't get tied up in the fact that you've never done the classroom instruction. They saw something in you, and they're like, you know what? We can get this other stuff in. We just need to get that relationship builder into our um, into our department and at K State. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and and Chris, I think that's a hallmark of helping students identify their uh, their natural talents, right? And uh, uh, Gallup and, of course, uh, uh, Don Clifton's uh, 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 strengths assessment that then allows students to identify and actually put a name to uh, elements of uh, of talent which we'll get into uh, here here shortly.
0: That is exactly. So you got that you got your masters finished that your doctoral work. Where did you what program did you go and where did you do that at?
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was here at K State and nice. it didn't take long. Uh, and uh, uh, I started to uh, get excited about uh, higher ed, uh, yep. higher ed administration, and of course, I'm surrounded by faculty who have their PhDs. Yep. Uh, and then, and then I just uh, decided to jump back into the classroom one day, uh, and then, sure enough, knocked out the coursework, and here I am, PhD in uh, uh, higher education administration. My research was on small groups, uh, student leadership development, mm-hmm. uh, learning communities, and uh, engagement. Uh, and so uh, it, it was a natural fit to kind of play off what I was seeing and experiencing in the classroom, in a, in, a, in a large lecture classroom.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that's everything you just described. That is what needs to be kind of the, the cornerstone or something that's really deeply rooted into a college campus environment and community. You know, the engagement, the connection, everything you just said um, is what if we get passionate people to to come here and to um, buy into that uh, I guess mission statement or that mission—that's what takes a place and makes it truly special, like K State is. You know, um, those connections, those relationships that you that we can build—that's what makes K State special. When you get that, it makes it—it's just like I said, it's just a recipe for success in my mind, and and I think it's really cool. That's. Like I said, when you say goosebumps, I got the goosebumps now just talking about it.
1: Yeah, well, let me ask, because that's a goosebump moment, so we got to uh, kind of mind that a little bit more. Uh, gosh, what was your first connection when you got here to K-State and you said, wow, now I feel connected. This was the right move for me, for my family, uh, and, and life's going to be okay.
0: The goosebumps got bigger, because mine is also a Pat Bosco story. Um, I, so I went to a junior college for two years. I went to Cloud mm-hmm. County Community College, and then I transferred into K-State. And I'm sitting in a, I think it was a union at the time and we were doing our orientation and Dr. Bosco came up and he presented to all of the transfer students and we're sitting there and he, you know, talks about K-State, what makes it special. And when he comes off the stage, I'm kind of sitting in the front row and we get up and we're leaving and he stops and he looks at me and I was the student body president for my high school, Clifton Clyde high school, 90 people in the entire, in the entire um, high school. Um, But he came and talked to our executive team for student council one day about K-State. And that was, you know, gosh, two and a half, three years before. And you know how many people Dr. Bosco met on a daily basis or who he communicated with. And so um, I'm sitting there, I'm getting up, getting ready to leave. And he stops and he just looks at me and he goes, Chris Bowman, Clifton Clyde High School. And I said, that's me. And he goes, bingo, I'm glad you're here. And turned around and walked off. And I thought, now that is something that's making that that instantly made me feel connected to the university and it's again it's those people and those relationship builders and so then I I left there and I had that in mind and I told uh, my roommates about it some of my friends and they thought it was just they thought it was funny Um, but then we all kind of sat and it got a little quiet in the room and they said wow he remembered you from all the people he knew Three years later, and that's when I knew K State was a good spot. We had some, we had good people, good leaders here, good administrators that are looking out for us. And so that was a moment I was like, you know what, this is a great place to be. This is what everybody talks about K State being a community. That's that was a definition of it for me right there.
1: Yeah, gosh, Chris, that's gosh. We we could probably have an entire podcast on Dr. Bosco. Exactly. Moments. Uh, you know, he took the Clifton Strengths Finder uh, assessment, and one of his top five is individualization. Yep. And when I heard that, uh, it just made such sense because Mm -hmm. he was able to individualize the recruitment process Mm -hmm. of 3,500 incoming students to K-State, and he could personalize it. He could personalize it to you, and he always said, uh, make sure people know your name, but yet he did his work to know the names of the students coming into campus. And uh, that was so uh, profound because, you know, I teach leadership, and leadership is basically a relationship. In mm-hmm. fact, simple definition, leadership is an influence relationship. Yep. And what better way to grab somebody's attention than to know their name? Yep. And so from Dr. Bosco all these years later, uh, Chris, I'm in large lecture with uh, 180 students. And by the end of the 16-week semester, yep. uh, one of my goals is to know each and every one of my students mm-hmm. by name. Uh, I'm not always there, yep. but gosh, that's, a, uh, that's something else outside the curriculum. Because, gosh, if leadership is a relationship and we're teaching all these structures, uh, theories, mm-hmm. concepts, frameworks to help students develop positive relationships and yep. influence relationships, but yet if I'm not modeling that from the front of the room and I don't know your name, then I'm really teaching something else. Yep. And so how can we all model what it is that we're teaching uh, to be top performers in our work?
0: I like that, that, that modeling behavior. You know, that's motivating for people. You know, um, we had one of our uh, episodes we did, we had one of our um, doctoral practicum students from Counseling Services, and she came in, and she was talking about her experience in the doctoral program, um, and I think, I think it was what she was um, coming from the place of being a single parent in advanced education and the struggles and the challenges, but she did say the one, one of the things that really, really connected her to the program she got in was her professors all knew everybody in the classroom's name. And, of course, it was, it, was, it was a doctoral program, so there weren't, there weren't a whole lot, she said. But she said that was just an experience you'll never forget. And that's something she took away with her is, you know, take an interest, try to, you know, get to build that relationship, build that connection. And mm-hmm. starting with the name is a great place to start.
1: Yeah, Dang, that's yeah. Awesome. Gosh, gang! I tell you what, you're here with two uh, two K Staters, <laughs> and so we need to send this out to all the uh, juniors and seniors in high school. Get to campus, come to K State. We're gonna know your name. We're gonna take care of you.
0: That is what. So that is one thing. Our navigators, the student group, the the mental health outreach student group, they can't, had an idea, and we're gonna try to see if we can't get it to to come full circle. Going to high schools as students, and there's I mean, I know groups do it, but they want to do it, to go and talk to high school seniors about what K-State is doing for well-being. So when they come here, we're taking care of your well-being. And one, it's for the, it's for the students, and two, it's for the parents. It's for the families mm-hmm. that they're coming from. If we go out and say, hey, this is what we're doing to help take care of you, they're, they're, it's never going to be easy. But it gives you a little bit more confidence, like, okay, Mike, they're going to be taken care of. Somebody I care about when they go there will be taken care of. So, um, but yeah, this could turn into a recruitment podcast really, really quickly. Love K-State. love the. My wife and I, we both graduated K-State, and we just never left Manhattan. We're both from very small towns. So um, we've been here, and we love the, and when, the opportunity to come back here and work at K-State. It was one that we had to jump on because it is, it's that getting to yes mentality yep. It's going to be beneficial for our community people at K-State are going to help you get to yes. And that's, again, that's something that I think is invaluable.
1: You know, it's I love that you highlight that getting to yes, yep. right? Um, I'm going to put a little uh, different, different uh, play on that. Okay. Because if we truly follow our talents and our strengths, yep. right, then we might not know what life has in store for us. Yeah. But yet if we also get to yes and then follow the yeses, mm-hmm. good things are going to uh, gonna happen, right? I, I always think of uh, Coach Bill Snyder. Yep. Yes, he's a football coach. But before he's a football coach, he's been a developer of people, and mm-hmm. he just happens to utilize football as his vehicle to uh, uh, influence and impact uh, young, uh, young men uh, in, his, uh, in his football program. And so how can we teach our students to uh, understand their natural talents, mm-hmm. leverage their talents, turn their talents into strengths, and then be top performers? And follow the yeses, because open doors are going to lead to new areas. Yep. Uh, and, and I often think that I would have been a great high school coach. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still coaching. I'm just coaching in a different, uh, different exactly. kind of vehicle. Ah,
0: that's fantastic. I love the way you put that, the, the way that you put that together. Um, the whole vehicle, I mean, just finding your vehicle, like I said, um, Coach Snyder's happened to be football. You know, finding that, finding that vehicle of how you're going to motivate and how you're going to get uh, uh, impact people. I love that.
1: It, you know Chris, the other thing around that vehicle, let, I think it's also important that people take a lot of risks in life
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and are willing to change vehicles. Yep. they don't have to change their purpose, they don't have to change their passion. But a different vehicle to do the same things that we love to do uh, throughout a lifetime also allows us, I think, to continually be that lifelong learner and look at life through a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. Hey, here's my title. Here's my job. Here's what I do. Uh, But it's not who I am. Yeah. And so if we can find who we are and then find different vehicles to uh, impact and influence others as we navigate life, gosh, I'm excited about what Mike Finnegan's going to be doing at uh, age 53 as opposed to 43, uh, and then what vehicle I'll be driving, uh, 63 or 73. Hopefully, when I retire, I want to drive a bus. There you because go. I want to be the first positive face uh, when students walk out of their house and onto a bus before they go to school. Uh, I want to know their name, and I want to get them excited for learning.
0: Man, and so what? what's interesting, what you said is something is like, you know, doors will open. Getting people the skills and the confidence to step through a new open door. Just like you said, you might, that might be meaning changing your vehicle or, you know, not changing yourself, but changing the vehicle that you're in. So, I think about that because that's something in my own life sometimes when it, when a new opportunity is present or a new door opens, um, maybe I haven't stepped through that door. Maybe because I didn't have the confidence. Maybe I I was still a little bit too worried. Like you said, you got to take some risks. And, um, so it all comes back to how do we instill into these, into people, students, people that we're working with like, Hey, a new opportunity produces itself we're going to be confidence that you're set up for success. You're going to be able to handle this. You're going to be able to go through there. You're going to be able to put your mark on it, step through that new door, and, and inf- put your influences on, on whatever is on the other side of that door. I love how you said that. You know, those are doors open. Let's get the confidence to step through there and try something new.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Gosh, Chris, if we could focus in on just how to uh, uh further build confidence in uh, in others today, we might have to do a uh 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 2.0 exactly. podcast from the weeklyer uh, weeklyer explosion.
0: This could you could become our we could have like it could be a weekly residential type of thing, you know. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> yeah, part 1, part 2, part 5, but Um, anyway, well, we kind of covered a lot. Like you said, you kind of said, you know, you got your story about what you got, got interested in leadership and strengths philosophy. Um, it sounds like it's, it's people that helped you get interested in that and mentorship that got you to where you are today and helped you find your passion and what you want to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's cool. And, uh, you know, uh, I think stories resonate with, uh, with, with people. And yet mm-hmm. another cool K-State story about uh, contribution, uh, about being intentional, is really how strengths came to K-State's campus. Yeah, uh, Because we were utilizing strengths in Lead 212, Introduction to Leadership concepts, and integrated it into our curriculum. And at the end of the semester, we'd assess, we'd evaluate it, and students said, out of all the things that we learned this semester, uh, strengths mattered. And that's 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 high praise because we had Dr. Bosco come in and do his Boscology lecture. Right. Yep. And strengths top uh, top Dr. Bosco. And so we knew we had something special here. Uh, but then the idea was, well, if this works for leadership students, how do we get this across campus to every incoming student, yeah. uh, undergrad, grad, international student? And uh, it was uh, 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 Rich Missler. Rich Missler has a uh, passion, and Rich Missler used to be uh, uh, a Blue Key member uh, back in the day, and Rich has always wanted to invest in people. Mm -hmm. And so he was excited about this strengths initiative and actually – that year for Christmas, he had bought his entire family for Christmas uh, the Strengths 2.0 uh, book on uh, uh, identifying your top five strengths. Yep. And so it was a natural fit. Well, gosh, Rich gave the initial uh, gift to then uh, allow us as an institution to get strengths access codes out to all students free of charge. Because wow. prior to that, it was part of their uh, uh, course fee in leadership studies, yep. $12.50, buy a code, invest in your strengths. Well, now we've got a Case K-Stater who had a positive K-State experience saying, how can I give back to the next generation of, uh, of college students, which reminds me of this um, uh, leadership uh, definition of generativity, mm-hmm. uh, finding your purposeful passion and giving back to the next generation yep. to help them find their full potential. Uh, and, and Rich did that. Uh, and his family, through the uh, Missler Family Foundation, uh, recently endowed the, uh, the Strengths Initiative here at K-State. And so now we've got the dollars to ensure that students... Every year until the end of time can continually invest in their uh, in, in their strengths development, and so that's you know one of those other awesome K State stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know we're going to talk about strengths. I know we're going to talk about engagement. I know we're going to talk about some well being today. Yeah. But to kind of put it into context, yeah. Chris, uh, there's there's a new book out from Gallup uh, by Jim Clifton and Jim Harder, Well Being at Work: How to Build Resilient and Thriving Teams. Okay. And I just want to read a couple of uh, paragraphs here to kind of put it into context. What if the next global crisis is a mental health pandemic? It's here now. At this writing, the U.S. Census Bureau finds that a third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety and depression. This is a huge jump from even before the COVID-19 pandemic. In a question about depressed mood and percentage of Americans who reported symptoms doubled from 2014, Gallup also found historic increases in stress and worry across our U.S. sampling frames as anxiety and stress soar so does hopelessness too often followed by suicide including deaths of despair a new designation made prominent by Princeton uh, uh, economists and Cass and uh, Nobel laureate sir Angus uh, Deaton and so gosh as, as you hear that right Mm-hmm. As anxiety and stress soar, which as a health educator, I'd love to get into that conversation, so does hopelessness. And so if hopelessness is on the, uh, on the rise, how can we uh, talk about what it means to uh, instill hope, confidence, self-efficacy yep. in, uh, in others to combat the hopelessness, hopelessness feeling?
0: I think a lot, and this is me, I think a lot of it is, is connectiveness. We've got to get people and we've got to find ways to have students or people in the community feel connected to something, mainly the community, you know, um, that is something I think that, that, that is healthy and something that it gives people that purpose, that hope. And we'll talk more about that kind of stuff here in, uh, a little bit later, but I believe, I, I think, and that's the hard part. Like I said, the, the, the global pandemic we're, we're in right now and hopefully coming out of fingers crossed, um, we're going to have to do some assessment on how do we get people connected to something? Cause I'll tell you a story that I have is there's a student that the first student, when I started working here at K-State, um, that I actually got to, he came into our office. He's one of a, he's in our, um, the Lafine student, uh, health group, the Wellcat Ambassadors. Um, he came in, his name's Pranav and Pranav came in, he sat down and he was the first student that I, um, really kind of picked his brain, you know, like, Hey, you know, Pranav and Pranav is an international student from India. And then the pandemic hits. I was here, I think I came in November and then March, we know where everything went. And um, Pernav, he's an employee at Lafine Health Center. So he would come in every now and then and we'd talk. But something that was really interesting and something that I really took away from Pernav, Pernav, when he got here to K-State, he had never stepped foot um, in Kansas at K-State until the day he got here to enroll and go to K-State. And he invested in kind of his, social capital, I guess, maybe is a good way to put it. When he got here, he really leaned in. He looked for opportunities to get connected. He went and he found some student groups. He went to the things the university provided for connective, you know, the mixers or the getting together at the union and things of that nature. And he built this group of people and, um, by putting himself out there a little bit, being a little bit vulnerable too, because that could be a scary thing. Um, and so then when this pandemic hit, when it came through, um, he wasn't starting from zero, if that makes sense. He had a network around him that he could draw from. And so that's something that I think I want to, I want like for people to model. Like, they, I was like, that's a great model for how to do it. Because if he had to start from zero, it would have been a much, I mean, not that it wasn't, it wasn't a struggle for everybody, but starting from zero, if you didn't have that network already built and already invested in it beforehand, it would have made it three times harder for you. That's, maybe that's a conservative number two. But that's it. it's that it's connection piece, I think. We've got to get people connected to the community. And a lot of the programming that we're putting in, that we're looking at doing, that's the number one thing we want to do is how do we get people connected to the community? And, and, and I think nothing drives connectiveness more than caring and compassion for people that you're working with or working for. I think that, you know, that's a long answer to the question that you just gave. But that connectedness thing, that's what I keep coming back to.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, gosh, absolutely. And I love that story of connection, uh, especially, you know, to then maybe uh, overlay that with uh, his top five strengths. Mm -hmm. Uh, So which of his strengths were at play as he actively sought out uh, spaces of community? Because then as you do different transitions in life, you've got your strengths, uh, which then become agency to help you find different pathways to uh to achieve goals mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's cool stuff now chris you also mentioned the pandemic and i think uh gosh we wouldn't be doing our listeners any favor if uh, uh, we didn't share some of our initial stories as we pivoted mm-hmm. uh during uh the the pandemic and now uh as more people are getting uh, getting vaccinated and yeah. uh, uh, uh healthier uh, communities uh and, and as we come out of this pandemic but i guess my question to you and and, and i'd be happy to share my story too. Uh, what was kind of that initial transition, uh, as you had to kind of reshape how you, uh, how you operated, how you worked, you know,
0: when the, when the pandemic, like I said, March kind of came around and then people, you know, I think a lot of people in my, in my perspective was like, this will last a couple months, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work through it, you know, and then here we are, you know, 14, 15, 16 months later, and we're still having the pandemic with the precautions. And even though it's getting better with the vaccines and things of that nature, um, The pivot was really hard for me because, number one, and my coworkers laugh when I say this, I call it my folksy charm. Like face-to-face with people is when I really thrive. If I'm face-to-face and talking to somebody and able to interact with you face-to-face, that's where I feel the most comfortable, you know. And then we go to, we pivot to this where it's all going to be virtual. It's all going to be online. Um, We do a lot of presentations, you know, uh, as a health educator around campus, and I'm doing these Zoom presentations, and I'm not able to read the room. I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Um, you know, the questions, maybe we're not, the, the, the back and forth isn't going quite what I, what I wanted to. And so I got really frustrated with that. I thought, mm-hmm. golly, this is this stinks. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not doing my job. I'm not very good at my job right now. Um, I'm doing nobody any I don't say any good. But what I'm, I'm not giving the students, the community, what they need um i got to find a new way to to do this to get the stick so it goes drives home um and what really helped me with that was i kind of shared that with some of the colleagues around here at k state and people were like yeah we feel the same way it has been very very difficult um and then one one uh, faculty member said you know just be honest with people you know let them know like when you're doing a presentation you know let them know like hey you know this is something like if it's virtual You know, I love to read the room, you know, I, you know, if you have any questions, but be open and be a little bit vulnerable with them and let them know what your worries are. And I did it a few times and it's amazing the weight that comes off your shoulders with that. And so, um, but especially with the topic matter that I cover, I'm a social worker, I come in, I kind of specialize in mental health and we need mental health awareness, stigma reduction resources now more than ever. And so then there's pressure applied to myself. Like we really got, I've got to do something right now so that these, we can get this stuff to the students and they know what's going on. And I struggled with it at you know, for a while. And, um, like I said, just because I was worried that I wasn't, my, my passion wasn't shining through, uh, it wasn't being shown. And so, um, it got better. I still don't, I still don't feel the most comfortable, but anyway, um, I'll be really happy when we get back to like, hopefully next semester where we'll have some in-person stuff where we can go out and see people and talk to them. But that's kind of, that's that was a struggle that I had with the pivot going to COVID-19 or with due to the pandemic and doing a lot of stuff virtually.
1: Yeah. Gosh, Chris, number one, thanks for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. I believe stories are gifts. Yep. And so thanks for sharing that story with me. Uh, gosh, there's so much to, to unpack in, in, in that element, yeah. right? Uh, gosh, your, your authenticity <laughs> and, and when you finally said, hey, I'm just going to show up and be Chris, yep. uh, you know, the authenticity, also the vulnerability. I'm yep. a big fan of Brene Brown. yep, And, and I'm a big fan of, you know, uh, team building and, and leadership. And so uh, high ability, high performing teams have one thing in common, mm-hmm. and that's trust. Yep. And so then all of a sudden, if trust is central to high-ability, high-performing teams, as a leadership educator, I'm always thinking, well, what's the strategy, what's the framework to help uh, further establish trust? Yep. And it's vulnerability. Mm Mm-hmm. And and if you can then create these spaces, these vulnerable moments, like you so eloquently shared uh, in your conversation with your colleagues, to say, "Hey, uh, I'm not at my best right now." Yeah. Uh, that's that's a powerful uh, uh, place to then drive uh, uh, company, corporate culture. Uh, mm-hmm. So then we can uh, then we can thrive.
0: Well, you know, and I think about it too. Like said when I came on, when I'm working here, I've got a, a, you know, there is the agency mission that we're working towards, but also each of us have our own personal motivations and kind of mission statements that we hold with ourselves. And mine was, you know, the mental health piece, being a social worker, Mm -hmm. I got to get out there, I need to help people. And with the pivot, it became so much about the pandemic and COVID-19 at our student health center at Lafine. And so we started doing these vaccination clinics, you know, and I was talking to my director uh, Jim Parker, kind of about these these vaccination clinics and how they're going. And our team did a great job. I mean, the efficiency that they had with these uh, was phenomenal. And in the conversation, one conversation I had with with my director, Jim, he just, you know, it kind of came to the realization that, you know, how am I going to take, like, one of mine is positivity. You know, I may not be, you know, how can I make that positivity work in any situation that I am in? So we're at these COVID clinics, a friendly hello, a talk to people, being friendly, being upbeat, being positive. It wasn't directly mental health related that I was trying to instill in people, but that mental health piece came through, you know, that, that optimism, it helped drive optimism. And so, like I said, finding a way to incorporate myself into whatever it is that I'm doing, what my core beliefs, values, and all that is, and figuring out a way to get that into, again, I keep saying it, but that passion shines through when you're being yourself and people pick up on it and they're receptive to it. And that's just a great feeling to have when you see somebody that's receptive to what you're saying and you feel good, they feel good. And that's the power of that connection with the people.
1: Yeah, well, gosh, uh, story, right? Yeah. Because uh, it was the uh, vaccination clinic uh, (laughs) after my double uh, double vaccination, where you and I were able to uh, to connect uh, as I was waiting my fifteen minutes to get the uh, okay to uh, move uh, move about my day. Uh, Gosh, the work that you, your team uh, here at Lafine, have had a chance to do under Jim's leadership, uh, wow, like really, really special. You've all stabilized, I think, uh, uh, a lot for the uh, K State community in terms. Terms of uh, COVID protocol, and you've been a leader uh, not just here on campus, but uh, through the uh, NCAA. It's it's been really cool to uh, to see all the talent here at Lafine uh, and how that's helped our entire K State community.
0: It's that trust piece too that you brought up with it, the trust within a, within a team, uh, with the trust for the leadership. You know, I think with when I think of like the the pandemic and what we've done here at Lafine with the with the vaccination clinics and whatever it is we're doing pandemic related. Um, there was trust in our leadership that they're they're going to push us, but they're not going to try to give us more than we can handle. But they're we're going to we're going to you know we're going to ask a lot of you, but also that trust that there's going to be a check check in point where they're going to come around and say hey how are you doing how's your team doing, and then it gets into how's your family doing you know how's everything else going and so that trust piece with leadership is huge. I love the way that I like the fact that you put that. I mean obviously, but you brought that up because trust in leadership. Uh, if you trust your leadership amazing what can be accomplished sometimes
1: yeah and gosh that supports the research that we know from uh, from gallup uh what what do leaders need to do during times of significant change transition crisis yep uh it kind of comes down to these four uh four elements and number one is compassion yep How can we be reminded of what compassion means as well-intended people are making decisions that maybe they've never, ever had to make before? Uh, And how can we show compassion uh, for the decision-making process, for how that's impacting uh, 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 real people in everyday life? Uh, So number one was compassion. Number two is stability. Mm -hmm. Because in all this uh, new flux, change, transition, uh, remote working, uh, my gosh, how can we get back to just some sort of normal uh way of uh, operating getting people back to work getting people set mm-hmm. up i will mm-hmm. never forget how awesome leadership studies was through the leadership of dr mary toller uh mm-hmm. to get us all the resources we needed to set up shop at home yeah. uh so so we didn't have to come into the office I mean, we couldn't come into the office yeah. uh, but they were quick in trying to stabilize our work environment by Allowing us to to bring all of our technology home uh, to where we had some sort of space to even operate and work. How do you create stability when the situation isn't the most stable? You know,
0: the pandemic, everything's changing so so fluid, you know, and, and so how do you create stability when the situation you're in isn't not the most stable? And I think you answered it right there, you know. You communicate, you find out what your team need, you find out what, you, what people need, and then you do what you can to get them what they need to be successful. That creates stability.
1: The number one skill set that you mentioned when I talked about your uh, motivational interviewing, mm-hmm. you said, Mike, active listening. Yep. And, and when leaders are in a place to actively listen to what their uh, uh, employees need, to thrive, yep. Then we can start to find some stability, and then number three of that uh, 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 of the element around change and transition is uh, trustworthy trustworthiness, yep. establishing trust, which we've already really talked about, to mm-hmm. where leaders are saying, here are the challenges that face us. Here are the decisions we have to make uh, and, and being transparent in that, uh, in that process to yep. build trust. And then last but not least, and I think this is where sometimes we get so wrapped up in the moment of what we're experiencing in our current reality yep. that we forget to future cast and remind people of the power of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've also got to create uh, a new pathway forward That's hopeful, Mm -hmm. right? Especially knowing that the research says many people are feeling hopeless. So how can we instill uh, in others this element of hope? And uh, Dr. Shane Lopez, uh, he would define hope as tomorrow will be better than today. And number two, I have the power to make it so. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that definition, it's so powerful uh, and and it gets me unstuck. If I'm I'm having a bad day, I can Mm -hmm. say tomorrow will be better than today. Mm -hmm. And number two, I have the power to make it so. Well, where's that power come from? Where does that agency come from? It comes, at least for me personally, it comes from understanding my five talents Mm -hmm. that then I've turned into strengths over time. And then how can I leverage my woo, communication, positivity, adaptability, and maximizer to find a new pathway forward towards goal attainment? Uh, And so that's that's when I kind of see this whole hope cycle come into play that, yes, I have the power to make tomorrow better than today. Yep. Uh, and, and, and it gets me back to this, this narrative. I'll never forget, you know, you shared your story about the uh, transitioning into the pandemic. Yeah, I'll never forget a call with one of my students who I respect just immensely, uh, Gabe Mitchell.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Gabe and I were talking at the time he was an RA here, uh, here on campus. And he said, we, we were basically speaking to loss. Yep. And he said, Mike, I, j- I just wish I could have closure with my students. But as an RA, uh, we can't be connected with our students. We're all at home, and I feel as though I've lost that sense of community. Which, gosh, you highlighted is mm-hmm. a hallmark yeah. uh, to, to 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 where people feel connected. And. And Gabe kept saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. And, and I, too, I was saying it right along with Gabe. I wish I could be back in large lecture. I yep. wish I didn't have to navigate uh, 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 YouTube uh, video channels. And, <laughs> exactly. and now, now, I did become real proficient at yeah. uh, leveraging technology. Yep. But uh, I wished I could be face-to-face. And then Gabe and I stumbled on this idea and this notion, and I challenged Gabe. I said, Gabe, every time you say I wish, could you change that to I will? Because if you say, I will still connect with my students, maybe not in the same way, but how can we still reach out and do something as opposed to just wishing, then we can start to create strategies based on our talents and move forward uh, to a, uh, to a more productive uh, uh, day, uh, more productive uh, conversation.
0: Yeah, no, I think, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to, or I'm processing, you know, that hope piece giving people hope, like, to, you know, tomorrow will be better than today, and I have the power to change that. Um, kind of thinking about, like, you shared how, you know, where, where you, like I said, when you're having a bad day, where it comes from. For me, like I said, the hope and the optimism and things like that, a lot of that comes from, I do a lot of journaling. I write a lot of stuff down. And um, it's amazing when you can learn. For me, it was, it was somebody kind of gave me the idea, and this is just personal to me, but how to use the, that journaling, that writing as a tool for myself to help create hope you know, because we can go back and look through, I can go back and look through when I've written stuff down or journal stuff, hard times that I've went through. And, but then I can also see, okay, you know what? I made it through that. And it's not always the same, but I usually get myself a good starting point. And so that instills hope with me that tomorrow, and that gives me the power that I'm going to make it better. And it's, you know, I can do that. Uh, It gives me confidence again. I think that's a lot. I, I always go back a lot to confidence, giving people confidence. Um, to take on situations, take on things that come up, if you have the confidence to do it, um, I think you can do amazing things, you can do great things
1: yeah gosh the, uh, uh here here comes another goosebump yeah, moment I right. Know. The, uh, we've talked about hope. We've talked about confidence, which, uh, you know, in uh, uh, academic terms, lots of times we use the word uh, efficacy mm-hmm. yep. to, to, to mean confidence. And so uh, it, it reminds me of some of the research around uh, uh, positive uh, psychology yeah. uh, around hero. Yep. How can we be our own hero to move forward? Uh, and and, and I'm, I cautiously say hero because I'm also a leadership uh, uh, instructor. Yeah. And so I never want to highlight that there's any one hero that can create significant change or transformation, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a collaborative experience. Yep. So there's not ever one person. Hence why lots of times when I talk about leadership, I talk about it as exercising leadership as opposed to the leader. Yep. Because exercising leadership enables anybody in the system to uh, uh, find themselves uh, uh, intentionally engaged in the, in the change process, yep. as opposed to just leader. Gosh, that's a noun, and that's one person mm-hmm. uh, to, do the, uh, to do the work of many. And so, uh, gosh, uh, I'll, I'll digress, but we get back to this HERO yep. concept, uh, and it's an acronym that then stands for HOPE, Efficacy, Resiliency, and Optimism. And if, if we can instill this hero mentality in our students to really consciously think about hope, about efficacy, about resiliency, and about optimism, uh, I would think that then they've at least got a strong foundation to tackle the uh, challenges that that we haven't yet seen uh, and or, or will have to navigate in our professional and personal lives.
0: So a question for you, Mike, is so what happens so this hero what have you found that has been successful for you or something you've been trying to instill this into students? You know, the hero model or the, not the model, but but, you know, the term hero. How are you how what have you found? Because this is something that sometimes um, I think people, including myself, struggle with. You know, we want to find the most relevant, effective ways to give people and give students information so that they can use it. Um, so I'm using this as a learning opportunity from you, no pressure. But, um, you know, what are some things that, that you've done that you've found that, that, actu- that, that reach students that they um, receive, I guess is the best way to put it?
1: You bet. Um, breaking down the four elements of hope, self-efficacy optimism and resiliency and mm-hmm. trying to give some stories and or some narratives behind it right yep. Yep. because i think sometimes in the classroom we can get tied up in the uh, in the definition i'll give you an example uh and and you do a lot of work around resiliency mm-hmm. well this uh, uh this definition of resiliency comes from uh luthans and, uh, and in uh but to define resiliency a positive way of coping with danger or distress in an organizational aspect, it's defined as an ability to recuperate from stress, conflict, failure, change, or increase in responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a mouthful. Yeah. And uh, I, w- I was reminded by a good friend and colleague of mine through the uh, Snyder Leadership Legacy Fellows Initiative for uh, K State students as they transition from college to career. Yeah. Uh, Jaime Mendez. Jaime Mendez, K State football player mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, uh, in the K State uh, Ring of Honor. Jaime Mendez said, Mike. I know a lot about resiliency. When I was on the football field, I got knocked down a lot. But the one thing I was good at, I'd get back up. And he goes through life. uh, I learned what it meant to be resilient in my uh, uh, personal life, in my professional life, because of all the times I got knocked down, Mm -hmm. I willed myself to get back up. And if I just get back up, then all of a sudden I can fight yet another day. And I just, I love that uh, uh, kind of metaphor yeah. of no matter what life throws at you, how can we create the agency to get back up, ask for help? I think that's another key, yeah. key component, right? Mm-hmm. Community. You've got to be surrounded by a community of uh, people that care and yep. are willing to invest in you, but you've also got to uh, be willing to, uh, to ask for help. And here's, here's what I tell my students all the time, because a lot of my students will say, uh, I say yes, and I'd love to help others, but I'm reluctant to help other people. Mm-hmm. Or, or not help other people. I'm reluctant to ask for se- uh, help myself. Yep. And I say, well, why is that? And their response is, well, I know people are busy. Yep. I'm busy. I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. So I don't want to project additional stress or uh, a feeling of people being overwhelmed or a burden to mm-hmm. somebody else because I'm asking for help uh, that, I, that I need right now. Yep. And so then I flip the script. And I said, "Well, when have you ever been upset when one of your friends that you care about came to you and asked for your help?" Yep. And they're like, "Never. I'm always happy to uh, happy to show up." Yeah. And so then I'll say, "Well, then why, by by the fact that you're not willing to ask for help yourself, why are you preventing one of your good friends that opportunity to feel good about helping you?"
0: Yep. You hit it. That 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 feel good. You know, I find myself, and I know a lot of my friends and 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 my family, especially we've we've talked about when you are able to help somebody. This is a goosebump moment again. Um when you are able to help somebody, that's a feeling that's hard to recreate in besides helping somebody if that makes sense. There is that feeling you just feel so good when you can help somebody. And um I want they like said that's a point to try to, or that's what I want to try to unlock is how do we in, show people that feeling so that they want to keep doing it, you know? And that's where I think people working with people or people that work with people for a living, they know that feeling and they know they want to have more of it. And like I said, it's just like I said, that feeling you get from helping people. It is an amazing feeling that's so hard to recreate with anything else.
1: Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. Well, absolutely. And so in my senior seminar class, uh, uh, lots of times we talk about altruism Mm -hmm. and self-interest, right? And is there truly any kind of uh, a altruistic act? Because uh, if I help you, I'm, yes, helping you out of the kindness of my heart, but yet I still benefit from that yep. because I then feel good about myself. Hey, I was able to help Chris out and exactly. life, life is good.
0: And it's contagious, yeah. I find. It's contagious that, you know, um, uh, you then, like I said, just have you look for more opportunities to help, especially if, yeah, so we could, that could be a whole nother, like I said, a whole another <laughs> four-hour podcast that we could, we could tackle. Um, but yeah, I think, like I said, that feeling you get from helping others, uh, it's hard to recreate.
1: You, you know, I'm also reminded I need to kind of pause and reflect a little bit on our conversation that we've already been having. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I both share the uh, uh, the strength of positivity. Yep. And and I'm just I'm I'm hoping that uh, our listeners are getting energized as much as you and I are <laughs> I in know. this uh, in this in this back and forth. Uh, when when was it that you first connected with your strength of positivity?
0: First time I connect with my strength of positivity gosh, darn, that's a, uh, that's trying to think way back. I've always, like I said, I think back, I've always had a positive outlook. And I think the reason that, that, um, I really want to be a positive person is I always saw it could set you apart a little bit, you know, from a lot of other people. And, but now I get out there, there's, you know, many, many positive people, but that positivity, um, it can set you apart. It can make you a little bit unique you know, it can then it can motivate and energize other people, just like what we're talking about. Um, and so I go back, you know, I, I do go back to I played a lot of high school sports, things of that nature. Um, and the positivity during practice when, you know, now granted this is small one A high school football, but you're doing two a days, you know, at five o'clock in the morning and then in in, in the August heat after school, stuff like that, when People are getting down. People are looking to give up or people are thinking, man, this is going to be too hard. I don't know if I can do this. You interject some genuine positivity. That's what that's that's the thing is it's got to be genuine positivity. It can lift others. And I go back to high school sports during those practice sessions where it's like, okay, um, let's bring some positivity into this. And one, I think this is before I knew it was in my strengths. One, I saw it making an effective leader, you know. Positivity in my mind is like, I can be this. This is something that I can bring as a leader in a leadership role. And so I think that's kind of where it formed, like I said, was and and it was effective. Like I said, that genuine positivity is a thing. You know, like you can't, in my mind, it's hard to just be positive in one section and people see it as being genuinely positive. You got to have it throughout your whole life. And so I think that's kind of where my first thoughts, it, before I even knew it was one of my strengths, before I knew anything about this, you know, we're talking sophomore, junior in high, in high school, senior in high school, um, but still able to pick up on, hey, this positivity can motivate and then get people through a hard time. Yeah. And that kind of drove, you know, and then I think about, gosh, now I'm really getting reminiscent, thinking about it. my my um, going into social work, um, the social work program here at K-State, getting into it, that positivity piece, because, you know, Um, I've worked on teams where we had a lot of heavy subject matter, you know, for, um, six years, I did uh, child abuse and neglect investigations for the state of Kansas and all of everybody in my team, we were all, we were all dealing with the same subject matter and it can get pretty heavy. Sometimes you bring that positivity in that genuine positivity maybe not about the subject, because sometimes it's hard to find pause about what it, that subject that you're working in, but the positivity of us as a team, that they have somebody they can count on, that I have a brother or sister in this room that I can count on. That's a positivity that you try to bring in, that I would try to bring in. And I had a great leader, a great mentor, Rob McDougal. He also graduated from K-State Social Work Program. Um, he was a retired warrant officer in the, in the Army. Um, he brought that in, and he recognized that, and he recognized that in me, and he's like, that's fantastic. Keep doing that. That's what our team needs. And so um, that's when positivity, I mean, it all, it did. It, it helps sometimes can help people get through some difficult times, whether it's football practice or just like you shared the story about, you know, the story about you come home from work and there was a fatality or when you're working with such a sub, heavy subject matter that something happened completely out of your control and it's really, really devastating or it's really sad. You got to be careful with that positivity going in and they, you know, hey, I'm here for you. Uh, we can get through this and things of that nature. So that's when I think it kind of came about for me.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm also fascinated. When we started this off today, we also talked a little bit about strengths envy. Yep. And so I've always been envious of people that have uh, empathy. Mm -hmm. And so it's fascinating because how do you balance uh, your positivity strength with then also uh, showing up when to uh, when when to really uh, leverage your, your empathy strength. Because depending on context or situation, people might need different things from you.
0: You know, I think it comes back, it's another strength of mine, communication. I mm-hmm. think about, you know, empathy, a lot of times people have a definition of empathy, like walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Or being able to see something from someone else's point of view. And that's true, that is part of empathy. But I think to empathy, for me, it's, it's it can be tricky because... I might be at some people where I've done it myself. I'm empathetic to somebody. I see a, something they're going through. I put myself in their situation. My mind automatically goes to, hey, you know what? I've been through a similar situation. This is how I got through it. I want to grab that person, pull them over to me and say, okay, follow me. I I have the roadmap. I've got the blueprint. Let's do it. But then the communication strength, um, which works in there, to be able to sit down, communicate with that person, and not necessar- and, and get their point of view, get their perspective, get the information from them because you know communication isn't just me talking it's the listening piece active listening all that kind of stuff but with the empathy piece the hard part for me that that I had to really work on with empathy is I'm not going to grab that person and say hey this is the way we do it I've been through it I see your point of view it stinks let's get through it this this is how we do it letting that person develop their own roadmap their own blueprint and you being there to just be there I guess you know that's that that's your role as an as for me when I'm with the empathetic listener just be showing empathy is I want to be there for that person um, just so they don't feel alone and then I want to be there for that person to not necessarily tell them what to do but for them to bounce ideas off of or for them to talk to for me to be there to help them process things and so it's kind of interesting how a lot of the strengths come into what you just asked about you know that positivity with that empathy you know um, it, you know, and I've never even thought about it this way, but it is, there, there is a way you got to interweave them in together mm-hmm. so that they're genuine, you know, that's yeah. the thing.
1: Gosh, Chris, I can't wait to play this back to, uh, to all my <laughs> students because what you just highlighted right there is that magical moment where if we're really invested in developing a leadership capacity to exist in others, yeah. we're going to stop giving advice and we're going to start coaching. Yep. And that coaching, that listening, asking people critical questions to let them define their own roadmap yep. for success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and you so eloquently shared that it's not about you, yeah. but it's about them and then helping them build their roadmap to success, which could look completely different as a blueprint from, uh, from your roadmap to success.
0: Exactly. And, the, and sometimes the hard part is, which with like I said, the being empathetic. What's, you know, and being like, okay, you're going through this. I see your point of view. I'm going to grab you and pull you and you're going to follow me. I'm going to show you that all originates from a good place. Yeah. You know, it all originates from a good place. It does. But that's the important part to remember too. That's what I tell people, you know, you've shown that you can, you have the beginnings of, of developing a very empathetic um, way, I guess. And so that's one thing I really tell people is like, you know, you know, I'm not saying that, that what you're doing is wrong because it is coming from a good place you know, that you're generally invested in this person and wanting to help them, that's good. You know, that's, that's a fantastic thing. That is the beginning step. And so um, that's where my mind goes where I think about, you know, it, it all comes from a good place, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, just, that's the positivity. That's, it's coming from a good place.
1: Yeah, and, you know, from a leadership context, I'm reminded of these two sentences. Mm-hmm. I exercise leadership for others versus I exercise leadership with others. Mm-hmm. Four comes from a great place. Yeah, but if we really dissect, exercise leadership for others. Yeah, it comes from a deficit-based perspective. Yeah, uh, if I say, "Hey, I'm going to do something for Chris," mm-hmm. the potential exists for me to explore the idea that uh, Chris's Chris is in help. Mm -hmm. He needs my assistance. I have power. I have agency. Chris has none. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm going to step in and do something for Chris. Yeah. But yet if I say uh, I'm going to do something with Chris, then all of a sudden I approach that challenge. Chris is whole, creative, and Chris has agency to overcome whatever obstacle he's facing right now, whether that be professionally or personally. And we're going to work collaboratively together to find some sort of resolution. Yep. And so, uh, gosh, I, I lots of times think, you know, with all of our K-State students exercising leadership in powerful ways, how many times do they get trapped in that narrative of, I'm going to do this for my fraternity. Yep. I'm going to do this for my student organization. I'm going to do this for others. Mm-hmm. And what would it look like if they had a transformative shift to move from four to with and say, wait a second, I'm the recruitment chair for my fraternity. I'm going to do this with my members. Yep. And then in the process of with, they're helping develop a capacity for leadership to exist as they graduate and transition out. Yep. And I think that's the critical component. When we start to say my leadership exists to develop a capacity in others, that's a transformative moment in life.
0: Does that go in with the, is it the um, generativity?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tri- uh, 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 Chris, that's absolutely. I'm, I'm all uh, excited about no. the, uh, the leader identity development model that talks about uh, uh, awareness, exploration, uh, leader, uh, leader identified, uh, leadership differentiated, leadership identified versus leadership differentiated. That's a pivotal point in mm-hmm. that leader identity model because it talks about, I identify that other people are exercising leadership and might have titles that go with their uh, uh, behaviors and positions of, of doing work in an organization, but they don't necessarily see themselves as a leader. Yeah. And then when they move from leader identified, people are exercising leadership uh, uh, to leadership ident- uh, differentiated. Ah, yes, people are exercising leadership, and I too, regardless of title, can be exercising leadership uh, at the same uh, pace that they are. Yeah. Regardless of authority. Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful place. It gets back to that notion of uh, if not you, who? If not now, when? Yeah, Right? Like like call ourselves into action uh, for anything that we observe or see to then intervene uh, to, uh, you know, make the world and the community a a better place. And so uh, that's uh, stage three and four. And then stage five is generativity, which is defined as uh, people finding their purposeful passion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other element. Uh, lots of times students will say, well, Mike, I want to exercise leadership. Well, before you exercise leadership, let's jump back. What are your values? Mm -hmm. What are your strengths? What are your passions and interests? And and if we think about our values in a circle – and yet our strengths in yet another circle, and then our passions and interests in yet another circle, now all of a sudden we've created this Venn diagram. And then we can start to see the relationships between our values and our strengths, our strengths and our passions and interests. And then we can start to, I think, answer that big heavy question of what does the world require of me? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not what does the world require of me? It's what does my partner require of me? What does my children require of me? What Mm -hmm. does my colleagues, what do they require of me? Well, They require you to understand your values, play to your strengths, and live out your passions and interests. Because if you do that, then you are in a healthy, productive environment. And one thing we know from Gallup's research, strengths are only strengths if lived out in a healthy, productive environment. So then people that are more self-aware, which is a key element of authenticity, self-awareness, people who are self-aware can start to create the conditions to play to their strengths more often than not. Which... on a simple story, right, way back in the day when you and I were uh, here at K-State, yep. remember, they did not have any kind of cap as to how many uh, credits you could enroll in. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like a, a, a registration fee. You just enroll in your classes, and then if you're actually enrolled at the 20th day list, you get billed, and yep. away you go. I remember I would enroll in 18 to 21 hours every semester. Mm-hmm. And for the first two weeks of class, I would go to all eighteen or twenty-one hours, knowing full well I couldn't handle eighteen yep. to twenty-one hours. But then I would I would go. I'd listen to the faculty member. I'd uh, see what kind of a uh, lecture space we were in. Is this a large lecture? Is it small yep. group? Uh, what's the syllabus look like? And then I'd make decisions based on my strengths. And at the time, I didn't know my strengths, yep. uh, like like Clifton uh, Clifton Strengths Finder has allowed students these days to, but. I'd then say, what classes do I need to uh, drop out of Mm -hmm. to then find my 15 credit hour semester? So it was basically taking two weeks to kind of pilot, where did I feel the most engaged? And and lots of times, Chris, I wouldn't drop the class that I thought was going to be the most rigorous or the most difficult, but I'd drop the class where I'd look around and think, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of other students here that really seem excited about being in this class, and so I don't think I'm going to have a lot of support. Yeah. Whether it's easy or not, uh, I'm going to drop that class and jump into this uh, rigor rigorous yep. course because I see that the faculty member cares, yeah. uh, they're connected, and they, they made an intentional decision to help build a community in the classroom so yeah. we could all
0: be successful. It goes back like what you're saying is authenticity. You know, When you're operating in those three realms and you're being authentic to yourself – then that is when you thrive, you know, I mean, it's, it's what through this whole thing we talk about, you know, we had a little pre-production meeting, everything just ties together, you know, all the concepts we talk about, um, they all tie together, like I said, so I don't want to say seamlessly because it probably hasn't seemed seamless (laughs) as we were talking, but it all comes back to it. Like, and I think that's, you know, when, when we talk about authenticity and, and being authentic and things of that nature, you're the most authentic to yourself when you're operating in those three areas you just mentioned, um, and you're true to yourself. And that's when you feel comfortable. And I know when I feel comfortable, that's when I'm doing my best work at whatever it is that I'm doing.
1: Yeah, gosh, talking about authenticity, right? I'm reminded of uh, uh, Bill, Bill George, author of True North. And Bill George talks about uh, being your authentic self. And he says, if we keep hiring uh, people for their charisma, for their style, and their image... Why would we be upset six months later when they're on the job and we don't have character, Mm -hmm. substance, or integrity? Yep. That's a powerful element, right? Yep. And so I think sometimes our students get wrapped up with the charisma, uh, the style, the image. Hey, gosh, I'm going to sign up to be a leadership studies minor because it's going to look great on my resume. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all style. Yep. But – If you then worked through all four core courses and you can't articulate and really talk about with significant substance what you learned in those courses, Mm -hmm. then you haven't done the necessary work to really prepare to put yourself and others in a position for success.
0: I hear that word substance and that just comes back, you know, um, because when you find somebody or you work with somebody or or you meet somebody that maybe has the charisma and and all that, But then they also have substance to it. You're just, like I said, you're, you're, for me personally, I'm like, I need to get to know this person. I need to pick their brain. I need to learn from this person. You know, it's, you know, and, and I think when you, I can't tell you how, when, when I meet somebody that has the charisma and things, but they also have the integrity, the substance and then it's like, holy cow, this is somebody we need to learn from. And, and so, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm just running through my head. Some of the people that I've met that I'm like. These are people that got it. I need to get around these people, and I need to learn from them. I need Mm -hmm. to ask them questions because in the back of my mind, I know they're going to learn from me too, you know, and it's that give-take, that back-and-forth that makes it so free-flowing and feel so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Gosh, we're all teachers, leaders, and learners. Yep, exactly. And I think the minute that we start to get excited about, say, a titled position or a, a position of authority to say, gosh, I've got power, I've got responsibility to make decisions, and we stop learning. Yeah, from people on on all levels of the uh, of the organization, mm-hmm. then we we find ourselves uh, I think uh, in in a place for a uh, uh, disaster. Yeah, the, the potential's there for mm-hmm. something to go south or to go wrong. But uh,
0: yeah, no, this like I said, it just all ties together. Like I said, it it all comes together, and and it's an it's a journey. I think you know I don't think anybody's like said we talk about authenticity, we talk about your strengths, we talk about um, generativity. Those aren't easy things to come by a lot of times. You know, you've got to work for it too. You know, you gotta understand what it is. You gotta understand, you know, and so I think that's what like leadership studies and with your passion and with your staff that you have over at the leadership at Staley School Leadership, you guys are doing a great job letting people know that we're gonna work for this, but here's the end goal. Like here's what you can expect to be if you invest in this program. Yeah. Know? And that's what you want.
1: And and the end goal is to increase engagement. Yep and overall well-being. Mm-hmm. Because if we've got strategies to uh, uh, be engaged, right, I'm, I'm always reminded, keep your mind where your feet are. Yep. Right? If I can keep my mind where my feet are, if it was important enough for me to walk into that physical space, then I want to be there, I want to be engaged, and I want to uh, uh, contribute in meaningful ways. Yeah. But how many times? Gosh, undergrad, you know, we walked into the classroom, we were physically there, but yep. our mind was somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? I, I, think, I think the powers that be – that I actually had enough uh, uh, clout to take that Collegian down and listen to uh, 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 Lieutenant Q mm-hmm. from, the, from the Riley yep. County Police Department uh, because in that moment, it did. It, it was one of those critical questions, those crossroads in life. What's next for Mike Finnegan? And mm-hmm. we all reach those crossroads. Uh, but I think what helped me make that decision, do I go into law enforcement or do I find another pathway, it was then connecting back to my strengths. What mm-hmm. are my talents? And how do I see my talents play out uh, in these uh, different environments? Yep. Uh, and I think our talents, our values, can really help drive the decisions that we, uh, that, that we make. But we've got to put in the time, energy, and effort yep. to do the self-awareness work. Exactly. You know, in those pivotal, you, keep, you, you shared your story with the pivotal moment. I still remember um,
0: school, I think but college for me as an undergrad didn't make sense all the time. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm I'm taking these classes, and, and you know, I didn't have that passion. You know, I was just doing... I was going to college because that's what co- I was supposed to do. I was supposed to go to college. Um, I worked my way through a community college, came to K-State just because, you know, I didn't know what I, that was what I was supposed to do. Um, and I remember um, when everything clicked and made sense for me was when I got into the social work program, where I started taking classes with the social work program. And it was all... My, my sister, she was taking a psychology course. She was going to Fort Hayes State at the time. Um, she was taking a couple courses for her social work and, and things of that nature. And so I kind of flipped through books and I was like, you know, this could be something. You know, number one, I can barely subtract, okay? The hard sciences, math, that stuff was out of there. Um, I was like, I can't do this. Um, and so I was kind of searching. And then I started looking at the social work. stuff. So I was like, you know, it's connecting with people. It's working with people. And I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a people person, you know, so maybe. And so I remember I sat down and one of the first courses I took was social welfare with Dr. Betsy Cobble and she is, uh, she's retired from K state. Yeah. And
1: former, uh, former, uh, department, exactly. department head. She was a department
0: head. Mm-hmm. And I remember I sat down and took social welfare with, with Dr. Cobble and the way she, I still remember the textbook. I still have the textbook and read it. Um, the way she laid it all out is like, Holy cow, instantly college made sense, you know, it made sense, and then I had this appreciation for the hard work I did to get to that point, because it wasn't easy for me, personally, I had to work really hard to make, but then when I hit it, I was able to reflect, like, you know what, that hard work, now it makes sense, I'm glad I did that to get to this point, point. and then like I said, I guess I could say the rest is history, I've been in social work my, you know, my entire career, and I enjoy it, I love it, I love working with people, I love helping people, um, but anyway, so like I said, that was mine, was two things, Accidentally picking up a textbook when I wasn't in school—that was my sister's. I don't know why I did that because that really wasn't my style. And then finding that person or that class that connected—and like I said, it was—it was—it was a moment where it's like, okay, this makes sense now. This is what I'm going to do. Okay. And I'm lucky that I had that moment, you know, because um, people can have those. And while I was still going to K.C., people can have those moments even after they get a one degree and they're out in the work in the in the, in the workforce. They can have those moments too and have to come back. And, and, but I always say just follow that passion, try to find out what it is. That yeah. You
1: do. Chris, you know, we've talked a lot about trying to create hope yep. in others, uh, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, nope. but the way that you described your undergraduate experience is that uh, there were times you were walking to class, maybe, and, and going to class, but maybe a little uh, hopeless. Yep. Like, like what am I doing here? What's the exactly. greater purpose? Yep. And it was Betsy Cobble that then uh, put it all in, uh, in into perspective mm-hmm. for you. And, you know, just think about the many names that you and I have both shared yeah. that have influenced our lives in in, in positive ways, yep. right? Dr. Pat Bosco. We've yep. both got a uh, Dr. Pat Bosco yep. story. Dr. Mary Kay Seifers. Susan Scott for my. Yeah, Uh, to to name a couple. I I think we talked about Jaime Mendez, uh, Mm -hmm. Frank Hernandez. But, uh, you know, when we think about transformational leadership, I always ask my students, if you really want to be exceptional Mm -hmm. in the work that you do, learn from those who have transformed you in positive ways. And then what can you learn from them? Yeah. And so we actually ask students, hey, write down, who's been a transformational leader in your life? And then all the concepts uh, that we bring to light in the classroom, they can see through the lens of their mentors. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the, the end question, right, to end that lecture on transactional, transformational leadership is yeah. 10 years from now, when I ask others who's been transformational in their life, who's going to write down your name mm-hmm. because that's really what we're after. Yep. Yes. People have in, uh, 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 poured into us in, in meaningful ways that have been transformational, mm-hmm. but in what ways have we then uh, committed to mentor, educate, uh coach, Others mm-hmm. who would say, you know what, Mike Finnegan and Chris Bowman, those are two guys that have been transformational mm-hmm. in my life during my time at, at, at K-State. Uh, and then we get into this awesome, uh, I think, uh, uh, space where our students yeah. become friends. Mm-hmm. And they become lifelong friends after they uh, after they graduate. I, I constantly think of, you know, students that I had so much respect and ad- admiration for in the classroom. Yeah. And then through a continued life mentorship, they were they were in my class for a season. Mm-hmm. But my gosh, now the relationship has extend, uh, extended beyond for, for years and years and years. Uh, and, and I think of, uh, Taylor Schmidt, I think of, uh, Mitchell Lowry. Uh, I think of, uh, Kristen, uh, Bronco, Kristen mm-hmm. O'Shea, who's now, a, uh, Topeka, uh, state, uh, state Senator and doing strengths work. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think of, uh, I think of Ryan Patterson, uh, the list goes on and on and on yeah. of students who've had a significant influence and impact in my life. Uh, and, and, and they might be saying, no, wait a second, it was Mike that impacted uh, – impacted. I, gosh, I, I'll never forget. The, when, when I first started teaching, Katie Friesen, she was in Introduction to Leadership Concepts class. Mm-hmm. And we did a 16-week semester. She was an engaged student. She participated. But then it was that summer, she actually was reading a Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Mike – Harry Potter talks about all the leadership concepts that we that we talked about in class. And, Chris, I kid you not, she sent me this long, like, two- or three-page email talking all about Harry Potter and, and basically brought all the concepts to life. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, whoa, this is great. I don't know anything about Harry Potter. I've yeah. never read a book, but that is awesome. Awesome, yeah, and uh, and now Katie's a uh, a doctor. She just recently got her PhD, and she too is a leadership educator. And it's just so cool to learn yeah. from uh, to learn from our students.
0: No, they, yeah, like I said, call comes full circle, um, and that's another feeling, you know, that that's that's what you work for. Just like you said, when you were when someone who's going to write down Mike Finnegan, Finnegan or Chris Bowman as yeah. someone, and and I go back, keep going back to it, but that's where being authentic to yourself. You never know when what interaction you're going to have with somebody is going to start that relationship or s- ignite that flame in that person. Like, this is somebody that I – and now, grant everybody has their bad days, you mm-hmm. know, but you never know when someone's going to be like, you know what, this person's going to motivate me to do this. You never know when you're going to have an impact on somebody. Because, like you said, the, the officer that came into your criminal studies, he wasn't thinking, I'm going to influence Mike Finnegan today. Yeah. I'm going to drop some knowledge on him that's going to that's gonna make him really think – he didn't have that, mm-hmm. but he was operating in, in a uh, in a space where he was feeling if it was himself. He was authentic with himself, and then that instantly got you started thinking, okay, what can I do? Yeah. What what do I need to do?
1: It, Chris, you know, gosh, that just kind of hit me in the uh, uh, in the chest on that one. I have never reached back out to Lieutenant Q. Like mm-hmm. I've told this story, I think, uh, for years and years and years is one of my crossroad pivotal moments where I identified one of my strengths as positivity mm-hmm. and then made kind of a, a, a career switch, you know, in my in my formidable years. I have never thanked him for showing up to that lecture. Mm hmm. And he has probably no idea as to how that then set me on a trajectory into uh, into higher ed. Uh, I need I need to thank Lieutenant Q. And and I guess this is also a challenge to uh, to all of our listeners mm-hmm. to really kind of explore who's been transformational in your life. Who have been the people that have created high hope for you? Yep. And then what you were able to turn in and, and, and do with it, uh, and then how could we maybe go back and uh, give thanks to the people that uh kind of taught us those 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 lessons?
0: Exactly. No, it's and and you know, when this podcast episode reaches its, you know, worldly fame, Lieutenant Q may you know, I'm just kidding, but no, again, that's the thing. It's that it's that power of connection. And then, you know, um, I don't know about you, I know for myself, when someone reaches out and says, Hey, thank you for what you've done. This is how it's impacting my life in a positive way. Again, it's those feels that you get. You're like, man, it bre- it helps build hope. It helps think, okay, we're doing something good here, and it motivates. And I think that's 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 highly important. Yeah. So well, we've kind of been all over the map. We've covered a lot of <laughs> stuff. It's been a lot of fun though. I mean, um, just sharing stories, like you said, that's that's a connection piece. is stories. Mm-hmm. You know, um, real life stuff that's happened, um, I think, can connect with a lot of people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have been kind of all over the map. How long long have we been going at this? We've been at it just about an hour
0: and 40 minutes. No way. Yeah.
1: No way. It feels like we just sat down (laughs) like 30 minutes ago.
0: I know. And so, you know, Ah. that's a good sign, though. That's, well, that's when the communication is flowing.
1: Hey, I'm going to have to send this out to all my students who live in Johnson County, right? And be like, hey, I got you got two hours to yep. move from Johnson County back to Manhattan. Exactly. To get excited for K-State. Uh, and I got a great podcast from myself and Chris that we'll just kind of talk your ear off. And before you know it, you'll be from Kansas City to Manhattan ready to ready to rock and roll.
0: Exactly. Nope. Uh, it, what's really interesting, like I said, I'm, I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I thought it was just something, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm the older person that loves podcasts, but connecting with students, love them too, you know, and, and it's been fun just to listen to people say, yeah, well, that's really cool. There's a podcast and then get because podcasting has become a topic conversation that, that I connect with students with. Mm-hmm. What podcast do you listen to? They tell me. I tell them, and then hey, you know what? I'm gonna go check that one out, and they're like, "I'll check the one out that you, you know, that you listen to." And it's been a good way to connect. It's you know because number one, I don't know anything about Instagram and social media, so I got to find <laughs> something else to get in with the students to talk. And podcast podcasting's been one of them. So
1: the, hey, Chris, because uh, I love the connection around podcasts. This is a this is a question I've been asking a lot of my students because okay. uh, we we always end up with the hey, how are you doing today? Yep. Right, and then you get a, a canned answer and a response. So I'm always trying to kind of uh, mix it up a little bit, and I. Know know that you love music yep uh it's it's part of your passion it is and so uh let me uh, let me try to uh, kind of reach into your soul here right. and uh ask this question for you if you were singing a if you were singing a song to the world today mm-hmm. what song would you be singing and why
0: you know so um the song i would be singing it, it's it, this is a complicated answer uh maybe not so complicated it's complicated in my head is i won't back down tom petty but also Tom Petty and Johnny Cash also teamed up and did a version of it. And it's I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty who wrote it, um, but I love the Johnny Cash version where they teamed up and did it too. And it's it's got a couple of layers. Number one, um, my father was a huge Johnny Cash fan. My father played bluegrass gospel music our entire life. Music was part of his soul. That's what he did. And he loved Johnny Cash. And so just taking into what, the title of the song, I won't back down. I think there, there's, there's a part in there that says you can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. You know, everybody's gates of hell, so to say is different. You know, everybody's going to stand somewhere else, but it's, you know, now i have I lost my train of thought, but it, what it is, is there are better times ahead, that whole thing with hope. And how can we get people to that hope? How do you not back down and so there's that mantra to it. I want to find a way to not back down. And that may be connecting with somebody. And two, like I said, it's, it's in my soul with my father who passed away um, in this September. Mm. And that was one of the songs we played at his funeral was, I Won't Back Down. And a lot of people said, you know, that just, that fits because it's resiliency is what it is. It's preaching a little bit of resiliency, but it also is giving hope, optimism, all that kind of stuff. So that would be the song that I would want people, I Won't Back Down, Tom Petty, Tom Petty and the Johnny Cash version also um, that I would say that I would that I would want to broadcast to
1: the world. Wow. Gosh, that's that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's that's cool. And uh so fitting for somebody that does uh, uh health education and resiliency work mm-hmm. and uh, motivational interviewing. I I love it.
0: No, so But so that's where we got to get to, where I want to get to. I want to do a couple, I call them quick hitter questions for you, Mike. You bet. I want to get to, I I want men, maybe people know this a little bit. Okay. But maybe you're going to drop some knowledge that not a lot of people know, but I want to figure out what some of your favorite things are. Okay. We do this with a lot of our guests. We did it with Dr. Lane. And so uh, when we had him on, so, um, and he really enjoyed it. We'll see if you enjoy it just as much as he did, but our quick hitter questions. Okay. I'm going to ask you a couple. I want the first thing comes to your mind. Uh, What's your favorite food? oh
1: gosh i love I love a good burger okay and, good and, burger and when I think about a good burger I think of uh uh Nelson's landing okay. which you know is is no longer around yep but the uh, uh the landing burger uh but then gosh bricks up in uh, Oldsburg uh, mm-hmm. gosh drive up there they've yep. got a, a prohibition burger okay uh, and then the double cheeseburger from the uh, from the farmhouse in Riley right yep. like like I said hey I'm a, I'm a Riley county guy exactly uh, and so those those are
0: some tasty burgers that's that would consider you a hamburger a burger connoisseur right there you just named off about three or four different <laughs> hamburgers and where you can get them and what makes them unique. I think that's fantastic. And even knew the names of them. So again, that's fantastic. So favorite foods, hamburger. Here's one favorite movie. Do you have a favorite movie?
1: Oh uh, well, back in the day when I was in college, it would have been, uh, it would have been Braveheart. Okay. But, uh, uh, since you got me talking just now about burgers, I was also kind of thinking about Pulp Fiction. Okay, because uh, uh, gosh, Samuel L. Jackson yep. talks about that. Looks like a tasty burger. Exactly. <laughs> it
0: all comes back to the burger. Oh my you know? gosh! And no, um, uh, uh, Braveheart's a good one too. Uh, but Pulp Fiction, yep, Quentin Tarantino. That's there's a lot of good stuff that he does.
1: Yeah, and hey, the, well, the other one, like I'll be honest, the uh, the one that just makes me cry every time I watch it. Yep, uh, The Notebook. The note. Yep.
0: Ah. Nope. Uh, everybody's seen The Notebook and everybody enjoys it whether they admit it or not. I think sometimes, you know, some people try to say, oh, it wasn't that great, but it is a good, um, it is a great movie. So, all right. So here's favorite music. We, you asked me about music. What's your favorite? If you had a song to broadcast out to the world, what would be your favorite either music, song, Band, you can you take it where you want to go with it.
1: You bet, you bet. Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, Dave Matthews. Okay, uh, and and really, my uh, my partner uh, has gotten me into uh, to Dave Matthews. All right, uh, and and we've gone to a couple of concerts together. Uh, at our wedding, our first dance was uh, "You and Me." Okay, yeah, uh, nice. and so I really like that idea of you and me together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, possibilities are, uh, are are endless. We can fly. Yep, uh, and so that uh, that song uh, has uh, has a lot of meaning. But I think if I was singing a song to the world today and why, I'd probably uh, break out a little Michael Jackson, Okay, uh, Man in the Mirror. There you go. Uh, and, uh, uh, gosh, every time I hear that song, it's just like I want to sing. But, Chris, I am a horrible singer.
0: I- I'm in uh, the same boat as you. Oh,
1: but uh, it's that whole idea of, you know, we, we got to start with us, yep. the person in the mirror. And if we can get the person in the mirror right, yep. then we have an opportunity for some uh, significant uh, transformational change.
0: Self-reflection and self-assessment, I think, is something. If there's something that I could still in people that I could, if there was a skill that I could give people that I think would be really valuable to them, their most valuable, it's an honest self-assessment and honest self-reflection. Because you got to have a starting point to make yourself better for the next day. That whole hope, I have the power. Have that true self-assessment and true um, self-reflection and be willing to work on it or be, be, like I said, that's that whole honesty piece that goes along with that same man in the mirror.
1: Well said. And and constantly uh, seek out feedback. Yep, exactly. And when you get feedback, do one thing. Say two words. Thank you. Yep. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I, I hear too many students when, uh, when, when they ask for feedback and then they get really good feedback, yeah. uh, and then they, uh, dismiss it or they, uh, justify it yep. or, or they try to be like, Oh, well, you know, that was a, that was a bad day. And and then they say, Hey, Mike, will you give me some more feedback? No. Yeah. Like, like you were dismissive of the feedback that I originally gave you, yep. uh, two words. Thank you.
0: Yep. Nope. I completely agree. Um, do you have a hobby, favorite hobby? Uh hunting. That's what I say. What what what's your what what do you hunt?
1: Uh white tailed deer. All and right. uh, you know, uh story behind that, it's it's all because of my father. Yep. And uh, when I was in college, I I started to get into golf. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I can't tell you how many times I was like, hey, dad, you want to get some golf clubs and and go out and golf? He's like, no. Uh, But dad, dad was a hunter. And so if I wanted to have a meaningful relationship with my dad, Mm -hmm. I needed to kind of get excited about some of his passions and his interests. And so I did. And uh, gosh, I've been hunting now for uh, 20, uh, 21 years. And I wouldn't trade any memory uh, that I've ever had with my, uh, with my father, because uh, I invested in his passion. Yep. And then his passion kind of turned into my passion. Hey. And it's, it's a, it's, it's a great father, father, son story.
0: So white tailed deer, is it bow or rifle hunting?
1: Uh, it's bow now.
0: Okay. I mean, I'll,
1: I'll still pick up a rifle if I need to, but yep. uh, I really like the intimate experience and the challenge of, uh, of, of bow hunting.
0: Yep. There's a, there's a whole other aspect to it, uh, or there it can be when it comes to bow hunting. I grew up in, you know, North central Kansas, white tail deer. I've, I've uh, hunt. I was a pretty avid hunter in high school and college, not so much now. Um, but with bow hunting, there's a whole another philosophy to it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it takes a lot more patience.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, the uh, uh I'll make a commitment. You and I need to uh go on a couple hunts this right. uh this year. And uh I just recently got into uh to waterfowl. Good friend of mine, okay. Matt House was Central Missouri State University. He got me into waterfowl. And what I love about it is it's social. Yep. So you and I could be sitting in the duck blind and mm-hmm. we could continue this conversation. We've got, so we've got, um,
0: uh, we got some land up said Concordia area. Yeah. I don't know how many acres up there, but also, uh, my wife's family, um, they're up in Northeastern Kansas and there is some prime hunting area up there. Um, that, like I said, my, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law, they're avid hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they bring people up from. My brother lives in, in Texas. He'll bring people up from Texas to hunt here in Kansas white deer hunt. Wow. And his mainly his wife's family because they're all from Texas, but they'll come up here, and they're blown away by the size of the deer. You know, they're they're yeah. looking at you know, um, they're used to you know a pretty you know pretty small spread. A nice eight pointer would be good, but up here you're getting you know the twenty the, the big spreads with with the 15, 14 uh, point deer, and, and they're big too. You know, mm-hmm. and so they're always impressed.
1: You know what I love about that quick little conversation that we just had? It reminds me, if people, if people make a commitment to be interested mm-hmm. instead of interesting, yeah. think about how long that, how far that stretches. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that's part of the strengths philosophy, be interested yep. as opposed to interesting. And if you invest in somebody else's passions, mm-hmm. uh, interests, then, then there's going to be some sort of a connection.
0: Oh, yeah. like When you're, still, you're with hunting with your dad, mine was music. Yeah. You know, um, and I still, I, I now, like I said, the goosebumps are coming. I still remember when, um, my dad, like I said, I, I got into music cause my dad was into music. I mean, I would travel, we went all over the place, mainly, um, small shows at like nursing homes in the community and stuff like, but he just did it cause it was his passion. So I picked it up and, um, and, and started playing with him and things like that. But then what that did was, um, we had a, a very, really great father son relationship where When he found out I was into music, he would listen to the music that I was listening to. And we'd sit down and talk about it. And, you know, at at that time when I was in junior high and high school, he was playing bluegrass gospel music. It wasn't really interesting to me, but he would be sit down and be like, all right, let's listen to some of this rock and roll, some of this stuff that you're into. But then I still remember the day that I was driving home um, to go visit my family. I was coming from K-State, and I threw on a bluegrass gospel album. Uh, a CD that my dad had given me. I said, I'm going to give this a try. Still remember, I was in a 1998 Ford Taurus, heading north, um, going down uh, 24. And then all of a sudden, I put it on, and it just clicked. I was like, this is amazing stuff. And I came home to my dad, and I said, Dad, I got to tell you something. I, finally, I get it. I get it. And he, he looked at me, kind of, and he's like, what do you get? So I put that in there, and we sat down and listened to that CD, the entirety of it, twice. And just talked about it, and the smile that he had and the interest like it all paid off for him. He invested in my music, and now he's like, all right now you're invested in mine, and we're having this conversation. It was phenomenal
1: wow, yeah, so wow,
0: so yep, that's thing. you take an interest in you know um, take an interest in other people yeah it'll it, it does nothing but help you out you know
1: i I agree i you know I'm, I'm starting to think, gosh, maybe the main message here is uh, uh kids you know yeah. take an interest in uh, what it is that your parents love to do to really find out yeah. who your parents are like, and vice versa parents take a take a vested interest yeah. in what your kids do yep
0: exactly that 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 re- that, that what you're saying there is is, is my uh, high school and college experience of playing music shows in places that my parents would probably never come to yeah but their son was playing music there and they would come and watch and it was a comforting feeling I' even tell a story of my 83 uh, year old grandma came and watched at a bar that an 83 year old grandma probably shouldn't have been in playing music, but she came and watched cause she was interested in it. It was just, it's mm-hmm. phenomenal. So anyway, yeah, that's goosebumps all over
1: again. Um,
0: nope. So I don't know if you, this one, maybe do you have a, pe- a biggest pet peeve?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my biggest pet peeve comes from um, uh, I think the, uh, the the notion of uh, take personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. So when I see things around where people haven't taken personal responsibility, yep. that's an instant trigger. Yep. And and one place where this is always prevalent is at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like if you take a grocery cart, put the grocery cart back where you found it and yep. where you actually got it. Don't leave it in a parking spot. Don't just leave it on the side of the road. Yep. Uh, but take enough personal responsibility to kind of play by the rules when the rules matter for the entire community. Yep. Uh, and, and and I say that even like uh, when people park. Like mm-hmm. just give it an extra three minutes to align the vehicle up in the spaces where it's supposed to go. And, and now I say that that's a trigger. Uh, and I know that I've been guilty of it too. (laughs) Yep. So then that's where your, your empathy, right? Like Mm -hmm. I wish I had more empathy because I also need to be more empathetic because one of my core values is kind. Yep. And so I, I don't ever want to dismiss a fact that uh, maybe uh, it's, it's a parent who's like literally rushing yeah. to get from point A to point B. Yep. Uh, and, and and so maybe they didn't pay as much attention mm-hmm. to where they parked or where they left the cart, but yep. that's personal, taking personal responsibility.
0: There's always an, there's always an, uh, for me, if I see someone personal responsibility, let's say I'm at the grocery store and I'm in the car waiting for my partner to come out with whatever. And, somebody does what I consider the right thing when nobody's looking just makes me smile I'm like mm-hmm. there that's personal responsibility nobody's looking you went and did that and that's a that's something that I value in a lot of people as well so um yeah personal responsibility take it um last one okay last quick hitter question what is your favorite part of k-state's campus and that's a very very broad general question but I want to see favorite part of k-state campus here at k-state yeah that's easy uh students there you go
1: the the students are my favorite part my the, the Interaction with students, it's what gets me up uh each morning. It's what gets me to campus. It's what motivates me. it's, it's, it's what fuels me. Mm-hmm. Uh and there are so many K-State students that I haven't had a chance to uh to connect with, but yep. I'd love to hear their stories. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, especially, you know, when we had to pivot to online learning, yep. uh, that was the piece that uh really uh really hurt my heart. Yep. Uh is that I felt disconnected to my students, uh, whether they were in my class or not, just walking around campus, you know. Everything that we do on a university, college, campus should be aimed at students. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got to be student-centered, and, it, and if it's not, then um, uh, I don't know if – if, if that has a place on our college campus uh, after uh, after covid we've got to we've got to invest in our students yep. uh, and, and and students students are consumers yep uh, they'll they'll find places where where people will invest in them and it's exactly. a favorite part about k State the uh, the students no doubt nope I think you know your students they, they really are your greatest resource in, in in
0: everything from recruitment to all aspects of it like just like you said you invest in them they're going to invest in you as well yeah. You know, um, they're going to be coming to the uh, K-State football games as alumni. They're going to go out into their um, job market, wherever they go, or to their grad school or wherever they go. And they're going to talk about their great time they had at K-State. And they're going to talk about how people here at K-State care about them. Yeah, And I don't know. I, and it, there's no research, and this is just me, maybe it's all, but I think that's, be, that's becoming a little bit more rare in certain places, that caring nature, that connectiveness, that relationship building. Especially yeah. with everything that's going on, not just pandemic, but with there, it's becoming more it's it becoming more easier to not have that connection, you know, um, unfortunately. But people are going to go out there and they're going to say, K-State cares, they connect with people. Yeah. And that's like you said, you invest in those students, they're going to invest in you. And it's only only good things will come out of that.
1: Yeah, that fa- favorite part about K-State, hands down, the students. Now, uh, gosh, I've been here for uh, uh, 20 plus years. As you think about my time as an admissions representative and then as a faculty, yeah. what's kept me here. Uh, are my colleagues. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I tell you what, uh, the leadership studies faculty and staff—it's uh, an extension of uh, of, of family, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that that we all uh, connect with one another, share our uh, share our research, share our knowledge, share our learning, uh, and then even beyond leadership studies, yep. uh, the the collegiality mm-hmm. uh, that that happens here in an interdisciplinary nature around shared interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friends in student life, uh, friends in uh, ORA, uh, Office of Recruitment Admissions, like it is literally one big team, yep. uh, housing and dining, uh, uh, that, that really we all rally behind how can we create the best possible uh, experience for our students. And that's, that's that's what's kept me here over the years is, is the colleague-to-colleague interaction.
0: You know, we're so right now we're working on uh, with uh, Dr. Lane, uh, vice president of student life. We're working on putting together some faculty and staff training around suicide awareness and prevention, mm-hmm. you know, and something that's that when I'm, I'm, I'm developing this training, the overarching theme is community member. You know, we're not we're not looking at just the off student life. We're not just looking at the we're looking at a community. K-State is a community. How do we help build a good community member. How do we get them the tools and resources to be a positive influencing community member here at K-State? And that's so what you just said. That's all of it. You know, like I said, everybody's got within their departments, they have people they connect with and that's, but also when you look outside of your department, that's a community and that's what we need right now, especially coming out of a, out out of a global pandemic, Mm -hmm. hopefully, well, hopefully coming out of a global pandemic is we need a community because then you're going to be connected to that community you're going to feel that connectedness, and when us as faculty and staff have that, it's going to trickle down. The students are going to pick up on it, it's going to motivate, it, motivate them to be a positive and uh, a contributing community member.
1: You bet. Tomorrow will be better than today. Exactly. And I have the power to make it so.
0: Man, that is fantastic. Well, Mike, we've been going at it for a couple hours now. What I want to do is I want to give you the final word, okay? Your final word, what you want K-State to know after this podcast, or actually – the world cause we're in a lot of different countries, which is fantastic or some different countries, but I want to give you the final word. Um, Mike Finnegan, Thrive at K state podcast. What is your final word? Yeah,
1: gosh, it won't probably be a final word. It will be a final phrase. There you go. But when I think back to what we've even covered here today on strengths, engagement, well-being, authenticity, uh, uh, hero. Mm-hmm. I really, I guess, would ask listeners to really make a commitment to understand self and ask yourself, who are you? Where is it that you want to go? Who, who do you want to be? Uh, and what meaningful contribution do you want to make along the way? Uh, I ask my students this all the time. What is your leadership for what? Because when we find our leadership for what, We connect our values with our passions, with our interests, and then we leverage our strengths to uh, 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 do something positive and beneficial for the communities where we live and work. Uh, And so if everybody could find their leadership for what? I just think personally that then that's where you're going to be the most engaged. That's where your mind's going to be where your feet are, uh, and you're going to be able to uh, uh, keep your feet there and make significant traction towards progress.
0: I love it. Final word, but also a final challenge for people. You bet. All right. Well, Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's been a fun two hours.
1: Ah, uh, hey, gosh, the pleasure's all mine. I can't <laughs> wait to maybe get back and do a 2.0 with uh, yep. with students and get some students rocking and rolling and rumbling, rumbling. Exactly. In here.
0: Bring them in, and we we'll get it. We'll get it laid down, and we'll release it to the to the world. But it, I, that's it. When we and we've talked about it, when there are students sitting in these seats as well. The energy level is different it's better in my opinion but the energy level is different people are engaged it's a lot of fun this was fun but having students here it, it ratchets up the fun level tenfold let's do it All All right. game. thanks so much mike
1: the Staley school of leadership studies provides students with academic knowledge and hands-on learning experiences that advance our mission of developing knowledgeable ethical caring inclusive leaders for a diverse and changing world So what does that mean for our students at Kansas State University and beyond? Well, we're an interdisciplinary minor that complements your academic major. Students can earn a minor in leadership studies, a nonprofit leadership certificate, a secondary major in global food systems in partnership with the College of Agriculture, and a leadership communication PhD. Beyond the classroom, students can also engage in a series of co-curricular experiences to enhance their leadership education and development through service, both domestic and abroad.
0: If you would like to connect with Mike or any other faculty at Leadership Studies, please follow the links in the episode notes.